Welcome. You're listening to Activist NYC, the podcast on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Radio. I am your host, Cindy Trin. Activist NYC is an ongoing documentary photo project about activism and social justice movements in New York City. This podcast is an extension of my Activist NYC project and will include interviews with activists, organizers, and political leaders in our city. My goal is to learn about what motivates activists to do the hard work they dedicate their lives to and discuss the important issues surrounding the people of New York. Stay with us. My guest today is Tom Corcoran, a community activist and digital organizer. He currently works at Bend the Ark Jewish Action, mobilizing the American Jewish community to fight white nationalism and act in solidarity with other marginalized communities. He also organizes for racial justice, queer liberation, and against the occupation of Palestine. He has experience as a direct action coordinator, trainer, master live streamer, and a chicken wing connoisseur. Thank you for being here, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here because we've known each other for quite a while now. And I don't know if we've actually been able to just sit down and talk. Yeah, I think that's right. I think basically how we've met is we met in the streets and then met in the streets again and then ran into this each other on the streets, <laughs> but not at a protest <laughs> for once. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I've always been in awe of your work and... Um, your writing is always so powerful to me and I always, um, you know, even though we don't see each other all the time, I always think about you because I feel like everything that you say and everything you do is so powerful to me and I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate that. So um, let's start off really by, by just telling me more about Bend the Ark. Um, what kind of organization is it and what is your role there? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, Ben the Ark is a national uh, progressive Jewish organization, um, and it's really the only national organization that's solely focused on domestic issues. Um, so the the core issue areas that that we work on are uh, immigration justice and immigrant solidarity, Muslim solidarity, uh, criminal justice, uh, combating the rise of anti-Semitism and white nationalism, and protecting democracy. So my role with Ben the Ark, um, I'm a digital organizer, um, and so what that means, I think what a lot of people think that means is I am on Facebook and Twitter and email all the time, and that's true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, really, what, really what the goal is when you're doing digital organizing is to uh, be able to showcase and storytell the work that's already happening on the ground, and uh, provide opportunities for more people to take action and mobilize. So a lot of a lot of what we do is, um, you know, it's a combination of storytelling, petitions, um, like seizing the moment and showing people how they can take action, take leadership, um, while still following the leadership of the people who are most directly impacted. And that's a really uh, crucial part of the work we do is that um, it's led and informed uh, by partners when we're doing work for immigrant justice. It's work that's led by uh, immigrant-led organizations. When we're doing work that's uh, rooted in Muslim solidarity, it's uh, it's following the leadership of Muslim organizations, and that's like a that's a really crucial part of it. Um, I mean, that I think it's so important right now to the work that you're doing because of what's happening, right? What's going on right now, and 
Um, this is going to be really tough, but I, I really want to kind of dive into um, all the violence and, and all the, you know, all the incidents that have been going on around the world uh, against um, the Jewish community, against the Muslim community. And I think it's a very, very convoluted and very complicated issue, right? And there's so many people from all sides fr coming from this. And so I really want to get your take on, okay, what is the general, what is the general conflict right now, right, between Palestine and Israel? and why it's so important uh, for the Jewish community to stand in solidarity with the Muslim community and just sort of, you know, trying to get to a core of what can we do? I, like, we can t like, let's talk about like, what is going on first and then let's segue into what we can do, right? So let's, let's, let's start off with what is happening for listeners who aren't that familiar, right, with the conflict between Palestine and Israel and the conflict between Jewish and Muslim communities and uh, what is going on? Can you just give like a nice little, like, you know, uh, very easy to, <laughs> to understand uh, explanation? Um, sure, I can try. The answer is I probably can't give an yeah, easy to understand explanation, hard. but I, I will dive yeah. into it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'll just I'll just note that um, uh, so my work with Ben the Ark is specifically on domestic issues, and we we don't do okay. work on Israel Palestine. But I have been um, really involved in um, in organizing against the occupation and Palestinian solidarity. Um, that's the work I've been involved with longer. Um, and I'll say that one of one of the big misconceptions about Israel and Palestine is that it is this centuries-old conflict between um, between Jews and Muslims, between Arabs and Jews. And really, uh, what's actually going on today um, is that there's an, an occupation of the Palestinian people. Um, and that's existed um, in some regards, like the occupation of the West Bank, Gaza, uh, and East Jerusalem. That's existed since 1967. Um, but Palestinian folks were displaced from their homes um, in, in 1948, it's what Palestinians call the Nakba um, and what uh, Israelis uh, refer to as Independence Day. Um, and I think what's really crucial is that it isn't, there, there's, uh, there's this whole idea that you have to, you either have to live there or you have to know, you have to have a deep knowledge. But the reality is that uh, Palestinians are living under occupation. They do not have freedom of movement. Um, they don't really have self-government. Gaza is an open-air prison, and uh, and it's an occupation, plain and simple. And I think that there's a lot beyond that um, that becomes uh, that becomes a lot of rhetoric because um, Israel is something that uh, for um, for a lot of the Jewish people. Um, we've been told like this is our homeland and this is the place where we have to be safe and especially now at a time where there is um, where white nationalism is on the rise anti-semitism is on the rise for a lot of uh, American and European Jews that's something that's uh, has historically been appealing and is especially appealing right now um, so I think like one thing to one thing to pull out is like what is the what is the conversation around it? Like I think a lot of times we talk about that there are there are multiple narratives, and while that's true in any situation, um, that there are multiple experiences, um, it's undeniable that the Palestinian people are being occupied right now. And so for me, um, for me as a young Jew, uh, it feels really crucial to to take action. Um, to uh, you know, call out. Uh, really, there's uh, a huge part of 
the Jewish community, communal establishments that are either explicitly or tacitly supporting the occupation, um, whether that is uh, by being, you know, like militantly pro-Israel, uh, pro-military aid, aligning. Now we see um, so many uh, right-wing uh, Zionist folks aligning with Trump uh, because uh, because of his policies on Israel, the same sort of... Uh, uh, like cracking down on immigrants, like building walls. That's like the policies that um, Netanyahu and right-wing folks in Israel have been doing for a while now. Um, and for me, it's really important to say that this is being, this is being done in my name, that uh, ostensibly Israel is the Jewish homeland. Um, and, and I'm not okay with occupation, with dehumanization, with uh, children being uh, detained and incarcerated, um, with um, hundreds, thousands of Gazans um, being, um, you know, penned in. Uh, so many of them are disabled now because of the crackdown on um, on protest. Um, that this is like this is a real and live issue. Um, and so for me, that's something that's like incredibly um, important. It's motivating the work that um, Palestinian folks are doing to resist every day. Um, is is real and uh is inspiring and motivating for me um so i'd say that's one piece on israel and palestine today how did i do you did great, great. <laughs> um and is this is this because you're a jewish american like i want to i want to distinguish between the people living in israel what their feelings are and the feelings that you have because you live in america is is there a distinguishable difference yeah, I'd say there's definitely a difference. Um, you know, I can't speak for I can't speak for Israelis. I, mm -hmm. I think it's a much different uh, lived-in reality um, there to live in a state that is, um, you know, a state that is Jewish. Like Jews are um, so much of so much of our history. You know, has been a history of being a minority, of being persecuted, of moving from place to place, of not having uh, a set homeland. Um, and so this idea of Israel and uh, is something that is uh, appealing for a lot of people because of that. Um, and it's the, the state itself, uh, while like nominally a democracy, is also uh, geared around Jewish traditions and ritual. Um, and uh, because there has been an entrenched, uh, because there were wars leading up to um, Israel's independence um, that are a direct result of, you know, British and French colonialism uh, pitting, uh, pitting groups against each other, um, that there's a real security culture um, and uh, there is a real lived in fear that, uh, you know, that, th that Israelis and Jewish people are under attack. And what that does is uh, add to um, that uh, demand or complacency with occupying another people because mm. in, in that kind of rhetoric, that's what will keep people safe. I see. So it's a, a lot of this, I feel, has to do with and you can correct me if I'm wrong because um, I'm not an expert. But a lot of this, I feel, stems from the fact that because Jewish people have been historically oppressed and, you know, and I mean, what look what happened with the Holocaust. I mean, these are very traumatic things that have happened to the to Jewish people and what I feel like you're telling me is that because of these like horrible things that have happened, um, it's created a lot of fear 
in a lot of Israelis, and they see Israel as their home. And because they've been pushed around for so long, for so many years, by, by so many horrible, horrible people, um, they feel like they have to really stand their ground in terms of like retaining that homeland, retaining Israel as theirs. So it's almost as if the occupation of Palestine has become a sort of traumatic response by by them, right? You think? Is yeah, that I'd something? say I'd say that that is like a lot of um, that explains some of it, and okay. I think that's a lot of the the rhetoric around it, and especially um, rhetoric that happens like in the American Jewish community that we need Israel to keep us safe, mm-hmm. um, but like safety shouldn't come at the expense of others freedom of course and i think that that that's really what we're facing is that it's actually not safe like this idea of like living in fear um that is like so ingrained in the culture that there's hyper militarization um that uh nearly every israeli serves in the army um that's that's not actually that's not actually a safe culture but that's that that's the power of fear mongering right right? and america is just as guilty of that we constantly are, you know, feeding our people all these different fears and, you know, and, and ideas that Muslims are all terrorists or, you know, or black people are all criminals, right? It, it's, it's this constant, like, fear of other, like, immigrants are all going to come in here and, you know, commit crimes and, and, and sell drugs and rape our children, um, you know, it's this constant fear-based mongering that creates this this feeling, this yeah. this just like this feeling of, well, we have to hold on to what we have because who th- knows what wh- who can come in and just take it all away. So it feels like a lot of the conflict. Then, uh, what I'm understanding it as, uh, I'm understanding it to be a lot of what America goes through as well, right? Like just this like fear of the other and fear of people coming in and, and taking what's ours, quote unquote. Um, so I, I, I really do think it's just a fear. It's just like, it's just, it drives people to do extreme things, right? Totally. Yeah. And I'd say that's a huge part of it. Um, and I also don't want to deny the fact that there's really real, uh, racism and xenophobia and power like there are many people who are driven by fear but there are also many people um in the israeli government who um you know they're doing this to consolidate power um and because they believe in a state for them um and them alone um and so so fear act absolutely is a part of it um and that has to be acknowledged and it is real um and yeah it just can't uh that can't come at the expense of uh of the millions of Palestinians who are living under occupation, who, uh, you know, don't have freedom of movement um, in in the West Bank, who don't have access to electricity or running water in in, in most of Gaza, like that. That's a that's a real reality. Um, and I think in, the, in when it comes to the American Jewish community, um, this is something that there's so many. Um, in uh you know in the 20th century there are so many uh alternative institutions that propped up uh because uh jews didn't have access um or were excluded um from a lot of uh you know a lot of schools a lot of community centers um and so there's this whole kind of like system of uh 
you know, of schools, of, uh, of uh, synagogues and temples, of community centers, and many of them are really invested in Israel, and it's not really something that you can um, talk about or question. It's not really something that people are educated about, um, and so it continues to prop up this idea. If, we're talk if you're talking about Israel as something that is important, is crucial, is so good, and you're not educating about the occupation, um, you're not educating about what Palestinians are really experiencing, that even more sets up Palestinians as an other. And also in the U.S., it really sets up uh, Muslims by proxy as an other. And I think that that's a really big, uh, a really big part of what our communal discourse is, is that, um, you know, that, uh, that Jews and Muslims are at odds with each other, um, which if we look just at, if we look just at Palestine, like doesn't actually sum up the whole situation. Um, there are, there are Arab Israelis, there are Muslim Israelis, and there are Palestinians that are Muslim. There are many Palestinians that are Christian and there are Palestinians that are Jewish. And so, so that alone, it doesn't actually sum up what's going on. It's a, uh, it's something that's like really about, um, it's about land and it's about politics. And yes, um, like different cultures and different religions do play a role in that. Um, but it's, it's really about that access to land um, and access to uh, freedom of mobility. And, and for me, when we talk about Jews and Muslims being enemies, it's just not, for me, that's just not true. And it's not real to uh, the lived in experience of so many people uh, in the United States and across the world. Like when I think about my work with uh, Ben the Ark. A lot of the work that we do is Muslim solidarity, and a lot of work that our Muslim friends and partners do is also showing up for Jews. Um, you know, after um, after the shooting in Pittsburgh, um, which was a really uh, terrifying and heart heart wrenching moment for the Jewish community, um, that our our Ben the Ark leaders in Pittsburgh did a lot of work around. Um, and this was the mass shooting that happened in a synagogue yes. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, it was in, uh, in last October, October 2018, mm -hmm. um, that a man shot 11 Jews. Um, uh, and the reason that he did that um, and targeted that synagogue was because they supported uh, immigrants and refugees. Um, because there's a, there's, a, you know, Jews have always been the target of conspiracy theories, but there's a uh, one that's very popular with the, with the alt-right, with white nationalists right now, um, and, and has been one that mirrors some throughout history, that um, Jews are the ones who are bringing in immigrants, bringing in refugees to replace white people. Um, the Jews are financing it, um, controlling, pulling the strings. Um, and so this is something that has been echoed by echoed by Trump and talking about George Soros, talking about globalists. It's something that has actually been echoed by um, many Republican members of Congress, um, uh, Steve King, um, many others. Um, and so... Where did they get this conspiracy theory from? Like, where did that happen? So it's something... Yeah, I know. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds but ridiculous. It's, <laughs> but it's something that it's, that's existed. Um, you know, it's something that's existed for centuries that Jews are this other people that are um, secretly have access to power um, and you can think about it with um, a lot of the stereotypes that exist about Jews right that um, Jews are really wealthy that they love money um, you know there are all sorts of like jokes or stereotypes about Jews just dropping coins everywhere um, that there's a secret cabal of Jews like controlling the media controlling Hollywood controlling politics and some of what that comes from is this idea of having 
um, an other group that wasn't rooted in a land that you can blame and scapegoat. Um, that's something that happened, you know, during the Spanish Inquisition um, when uh, Muslims and Moors were also expelled. Um, that's something that's happened in Europe throughout history with uh, pogroms and persecution. Um, and it's also something that is rooted in there being certain uh, certain professions that Christians didn't see as worthwhile or clean, like being a moneylender um, or um, starting like uh, later on, like in the U.S., being like performers and actors. Um, and so there are a lot of Jews who are in those roles, but they were forced into that in many ways. And now when we look at like who actually controls most of the money in this country, it's it's white Christian men. Uh, but the stereotype uh, that we're told is that it's Jews. And so this is something that is really easy and something that plays really well with a lot of the Republican base. It's something that motivates um, the white nationalist movement. The white nationalist movement is really marked by uh, anti-black racism, anti-Semitism, and misogyny, with, of course, homophobia, anti-immigrant sentiment, transphobia thrown in there as well. Um, all the other phobias all of thrown it. in there. Yes, <laughs> Just all of it. All of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that's something that really motivates this movement, and that's, that's, uh, that's a group of people that you can see that Trump and the Republican Party are really playing to, whether explicitly or implicitly. Um, and so... So yeah, so so that was a really terrifying moment. That was a terrifying moment for us as Jews and also a terrifying moment to think about that this was done because people hate immigrants so much. It was both people hating Jews and people hating immigrants. And so in that moment, which was really heartbreaking um, and also to be honest, like one of the most exhausting periods of my life, I was working for, I think, uh, like basically every day nonstop for two weeks. Um, the first people who reached out, the first people who showed up with uh, for us um, were our Muslim allies. When we had vigils that night in New York, um, in places across the country, uh, our Muslim partners were standing security for us, were, were arm in arm like with us and also around us making sure we were safe. Um, our immigrant partners were showing up for us as well. They said, whatever you need us to do, we will be there. And to me, that's just amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've actually seen more instances of solidarity between the Jewish and Muslim community in all these horrifying tragedies that have been happening against both communities, right? We've, we've got attacks on the Jewish community. We've got attacks on the Muslim community in record numbers right now because of white supremacy and this neo-Nazi fascist pighead you know that is occupying our presidency right now um you know we've seen like just an escalation of the violence but i've also seen the most amazing unification between communities across different religions and different races and different cultures and backgrounds and and what i loved seeing the most was just like the pouring of support you know, from both ends, from both Jewish and Muslim communities for each other when something like this were to happen, like when it hit the news. Like yeah. the first thing I saw were like, you know, my Muslim friends supporting my Jewish friends and then vice versa, my Jewish friends supporting my Muslim friends. And and so, f you know, for me, like I think a lot of 
um, the communities that I see, you know, and that I associate with with are the communities that always are sticking together versus this, like, you know, this biased rhetoric that Israelis and Palestinians and therefore Jewish and Muslims hate each other. Well, that's just the rhetoric that white supremacy would like you to believe because they want people to feel divided. They want people to feel like like there's no way they can come together, whereas the people know that there are ways to come together. In fact, there's so many ways that we can come together and we're stronger together, right? So I think it's just this constant... Um, it's this constant uh, effort to keep the people divided. And that's usually what the powers up in the top want us to be. They want us to be divided. They want blacks and Asians to hate each other. They want Jews and Muslims to hate each other. You know, like that, that is such a typical, typical effort from the Republican base and the white national, like the white nationalist base. I don't like calling them white nationalists. They're, they're neo-Nazis. They're Nazis. They're fascist Nazis. Okay, let's just be real, right? I don't care about alt-right. I don't care about, they're just fascist Nazis. Can we just call them what they are? No, totally. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a huge thing about like trying to, uh, you know, whitewash what's going on or give them like glowing profiles in the New York Times or New Yorker. I'm mm. um, not here for that at not all. Not here for that. I think mm -hmm. when I'm talking about white nationalists, like it's not a term that I want to use to um, pretend that they're not white supremacists. They absolutely are. Um, but uh, there are there is an actual like white nationalist movement that's like specifically um, about um, uh, like expelling and exterminating folks who are not uh, who to them are not white or are not the people that they want that there's like this uh, there's this uh, fear or concern that white people's like grasp on America is being um, and elsewhere um, is being taken from them and that they actually want to like exclude people and have a white nation and so that's both these moments of violence at, at places of worship at community places um, but it's also like policies like um, this administration's uh, immigration policies like uh, I won't like I won't deny that under Obama and previous presidencies like our immigration policies were also oh, um, incredibly yeah xenophobic authoritarian violent um what these policies are marked by um is like actively trying to uh prevent people from coming in and get people out um and so definitely would ne would never want to use it like flippantly um fuck nazis <laughs> punch them just absolutely if you see one punch one absolutely <laughs> um that's not endorsed by my by my work <laughs> oh my but God, just okay. by me personally <laughs> Um, but, but, but that there is like that actual movement. Um, and yeah, that's another thing that, um, see, that's a perfect example of, uh, what you said is 100% correct. And what I said is 100% correct. But when we're, when we're talking about the left or we're talking about progressive movements, there's like a lot of these different, um, understandings and interpretations of like who we're up against and, and what the approach is. Uh, which is important, you know, we need to hold those realities and we need to hold people's lived in experiences and actual knowledge that um, indigenous folks have uh, deep lived in knowledge and practice of how um, of how to resist um, uh, how to resist things like this, like exclusion and dehumanization. Um, black folks, like immigrants, like people have this lived in knowledge. What we're seeing from the right is that there's a very principled um, strategy um, that they are moving through, they, they test out one piece of legislation and then they move it through every single state legislature. 
um, that they are taking these these places, um, like you were saying, where we can be divided, and then they're using that to weaponize people. Like some of the uh, some of the biggest parts of work that I've been doing over the past few months is these moments when uh, anti-Semitism is something that is weaponized by the right. When we see um, attacks on uh, Rep. Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib, um, the first two Muslim women in Congress who are clear progressive leaders um, that have really motivated like a huge number of people like in their districts and across the country and taking any moment um, that can be used to pit Jews and Muslims against each other and immediately seizing on that, making that the story. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Republicans making Democrats and progressives have to respond to that as that's the issue. Um, when all these Republicans who are talking about anti-Semitism as, as if they care about it are having white nationalists at their fundraisers, on their advisory committees, um, are actively promoting these conspiracy theories, say nothing in response to Charlottesville, uh, say are on the president's side um, in the response to attacks on Jews um, so in Pittsburgh and elsewhere. It's absolutely hypocritical yeah. and it's completely cynical. And the problem is there is this fear that any marginalized group has that, you know, we need to speak to. It's like when I see people, when I see like my fellow Jews who are up in arms um, and who are worried about anti-Semitism, I get that. It's totally understandable. Um, but we also have to look at, at, who is telling us that this is anti-Semitism? We have to look at like what was actually said because in, in those examples, um, there's something that was said and then there's what was reported or there's what was twisted or that there's what was capitalized on by, by Republicans, by right-wing folks. Um, and we also have to assess like, I think the real thing is that anti-Semitism is this thing that can be weaponized in many ways, but many other prejudices, anti-blackness is everywhere. Transphobia is emmy everywhere. Anti-immigrant sentiment, anti-Asian sentiment—all these things—they're—they're they're so ingrained. And many of many of these groups, which also exist within the Jewish community, don't have always that opportunity to uh, or that cachet to respond in that way. Um, and 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 that's something that's been really um, important to you know learn from from a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, people I'm in this work with, people of color, Jews of color, who are um, doing a lot of uh, a lot of powerful thinking about what solidarity looks like. Um, you know, like Jewish women of color, Black Jewish women, um, non-binary folks who are really leading this work because they know that a lot of this idea of safety, like when the response to attacks on our synagogues or community centers is bringing in police, a security culture, that that actually doesn't make them feel safe and that it isn't responding to their needs and, and thinking of an alternative for what does safety look like when it's solidarity, when we're actually thinking about how we're building community with each other so that it's not only when these moments happen, these attacks happen that we're coming together, but that we're actually building an alternative, building like the world and the country that is like multiracial, vibrant, rooted in community um, that we want. Um, and that's what's really like crucial and important to me and that I keep, um, you know, keep trying to have as my, as my center um, because there's just so many things that the right wing is going to drum up to try to try and divide us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and it's such a daunting, it's such a daunting thing to be up against. So I'm, I'm really saluting you because this is, this is something that is not going to go away tomorrow, right? We're, 
we're only seeing more escalation of it and you know i just want to wish you all the safety and the luck um in doing this work because i know it's it's scary it is scary as fuck and you know uh, this is a good kind of moment now for me to really dive into you a little bit more personally um you know speaking of your like how you're going to really really fight this you know how are we gonna fight this and it takes people like yourself and i really want to dive into um you know what brought you here like what was you know you're obviously you're you've mentioned you're jewish so you know what was your, your background like and you know how did you get involved in this work because it's not easy, right? And this is what I ask a lot of my guests that are on my podcast is, you know, what motivates you to do this? Because it's scary. Like you, your, 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 your health and your safety is at risk by doing this because you are exposing yourself to people that are capable of violent, horrible things, right? So, so I kind of want to dive into like what, what, what were you like growing up <laughs> and what was your family like? And then what brought you to this moment? Yeah, totally. I, I really appreciate you asking that. So um, I grew up in Los Angeles um, and oh, I'm from Orange County. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm from L.A. and um, my mom is Jewish um, and my dad was raised Irish Catholic. Um, and neither of them are particularly religious. Um, when I say that I'm Jewish, um, for me, it's something that is, that's my, that's my background and identity. It's not as much a religious practice for me. Um, I consider myself an atheist. Um, but so, but sharing those, um, those two cultures was a big part, uh, for me growing up. Um, you know, we, had we celebrated the Jewish holidays, um, Passover, Hanukkah, we had a giant cardboard dreidel where all the presents would go in. We celebrated Christmas too. My dad was allergic to pine trees, so instead my parents decorated the foot of their bed. Um, so like these, these things were all part of my upbringing, um, but a lot of that, you know, there's a lot in the Jewish community that is that there are specific ways to be Jewish and that can be uh, whether you are observant, um, whether um, you are uh, Ashkenazi, which is like Jews of more European descent. Uh, uh, there's like an assumption that Jews are white and often Jews of color, um, Jews who are converts, um, Jews who are the children of interfaith marriages, um, queer Jews like myself. It's like a, a place where it can often not feel welcoming. Um, and so I don't, I didn't feel like I had like a clear sense of Jewish community growing up. Um, I uh, went to public school my, uh, my whole K through 12 life. Um, and that was like a really important part of my upbringing. My mom is a public school teacher um, who uh, has been the ch chapter lead for her local union uh, for basically my entire life. Um, so she was like instrumental with uh, the teacher strike uh, earlier this year. Really proud of that. Um, and yeah, that like upbringing was really important to me. I think like one of the moments that I really, outside of my family, like really um, remember movements and direct action was in 2005 and 2006 um, with the 
uh, student walkouts um, for, uh, uh, you know, for May Day um, that were immigrant led and solidarity with immigrants. Um, and I remember, you know, growing up in uh, like a predominantly like Hispanic area um, that um, so many of my classmates were walking out in that moment, were directly organizing. And it was people who were young children, people who were um, people who were elderly. Um, and it was thousands and thousands of people in the streets. Um, and I remember just being so motivated and so inspired by that. Um, and, uh, you know, my family has a history of being involved in uh, civil rights work on, on both sides. Uh, my, uh, my Jewish grandmother uh, was involved with uh, Emma Lazarus Club and with uh, civil, uh, civil rights movements. Um, my mom likes to talk about how uh, the Black Panthers taught her math, which is not exaggeration. It's actually true. <laughs> um, but but there's also something that a lot of Jewish families can have that is like our like grandparents like fought in the civil rights movement, and we get to like coast on that a little bit. Um, uh, specifically, white Jews do that a lot, as like a lot of white people will do. Um, but for but for me, uh, the moment that I really started getting involved in direct action, movement building, um, was living in New York. Um, and, you know, there were times that I dabbled in it with Occupy Wall Street, for sure. Um, but the moments that really um, spurred me into action, and I've never looked back, um, were, you know, the murders of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. Um, and I remember just how clearly wrong that was um and then realizing how this has been happening in our country for so long and i wasn't taking action on it um and there was just such an outpouring of grief and anger when uh when daniel pantaleo was not indicted in eric garner's murder when it was on video it's so clear-cut that he killed him and he needs to be held accountable and there were there were tens of thousands of people in the street um this is in december 2014 um, and I remember being in the street wanting to do something and, you know, having like a lot of people I knew being in the streets too. And then in the days after that, there were fewer and fewer people I knew. Um, but I was still in the streets because I was so angry and because I was seeing the people that were putting their bodies on the line, um, black and brown folks who were there day in and day out. And I knew that I needed to do that and I needed to be there. I, I was actually just the same. So I started Activist NYC in the fall of 2014, um, right when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. And I mean, I was, I was also there during Occupy. That was actually when I kind of started my idea for Activist NYC, but um, I hadn't like fully, you know, completed it yet. It was just more of like um, I was watching all these civil rights violations happening. I was actually a legal observer during Occupy, and I saw all these civil rights violations happening, and I hated how the media portrayed the protesters. They're always showing the negative yeah. stuff. They're always showing like you know, cops pepper spraying the activists. And then it always paints like this really negative picture in people's minds that like activists are delinquents and they're criminals and they're causing chaos when actually it's the cops doing yeah. that. And I saw like I witnessed firsthand like all this stuff happening. So that's that kind of gave me the idea to start um, this documentary photo project that I started in 2014 but it kind of gave me the idea back then like that I really wanted to 
you know, do something about that. Like, show that activists aren't these horrible, you know, criminals that everyone thinks that they are. So, um, I was there with you too, yeah. pretty much. And and it's I think a lot of the reason why we do this work is exactly how you explained it. You just can't sit by anymore when you see this happening to your fellow like people you just can't sit and be quiet i just can't be quiet in the face of so much atrocity and and so i feel the same way that you do and i think that's where a lot of activists where they come from too they just they're just not the type of people to be quiet about it yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I will just say that, um, yeah, I remember when you started doing those photos and just seeing how it's, like, continued and become just more of a part of everything you're doing is just so, so amazing to watch. Oh, and it's really, it's really, it really is a, a, a gift. And I think that, uh, you know, people capturing, capturing what's going on, making art out of it um, is so crucial. Like, I think a lot of times it can be, for some people, it can be, like, an afterthought, um, but it's, like, the way that it's both like the way that we get the story out to more people um, and it's something that is uh, is a record in history and it's something that is like calming or soothing or invigorating or anger inducing that it like it conveys what's going on or or the message that we want to send which also for me like when I'm doing digital work and thinking of like how this how this story is being told on social media how are we growing people uh, mobilizing people bringing them into the work like that's what I'm trying to think of too and I think for me, you know, that moment, um, being in, being in the streets and then seeing other people who are in my life, who I considered having the same values as me, like not doing that or saying that they couldn't, or it wasn't for them. For me, well, that made me annoyed. (laughs) It made me kind of angry, uh, both because it's like, well, I'm doing it. And also all these people who are sacrificing far more than you are doing it. And also I was like, hold on, it is making me angry, but I'm in a place where I can leverage the connections I have to tell a story. Like, what if me being there is something that will get people into the work? It shouldn't have to be. Like, this. Sh- some of these things should just be so obvious and clear-cut, and we should all be mobilizing around that. But we know that that's not how it happens. We know that you know, building movements and making change comes through community building and forming connections. Um, and so for me, it was like really being in those streets and seeing the work of so many groups, people power, People's Power Assemblies, Why Accountability, um, this group shut it down that really sprung out out of that time. And like They were they a were, uh, previous episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. They, yeah. Are, uh, they are some of my favorite people in yeah. the world. I, when June, I, June from NYC shut cool. it down was my guest. Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I think about, when, when I'm like thinking about like an issue or something and I'm trying to think about like what what is the right thing to do? I'm like, what would, what would NYC shut it down do? Yeah, um, right. Because, you know, they've been, the work that they've just been doing for, for over four years now, every week telling the story of a different victim of police brutality or state violence, every week telling a different story, um, that that's like over 200 different stories. And of course they're not done yet. And doing that at Grand Central, bringing it to, Harlem to Brooklyn to the Bronx um, doing community aid and doing it in a way that is like really thinking about who who is impacted that is also lifting up it's about black and brown folks but it's also about black and brown women it's about black and brown queer folks like black and brown people with disabilities indigenous folks 
uh, people with mental illness, um, that like all of these people are impacted and that there are people who have those intersecting identities who it impacts them even more. And so, and doing that with art, you know, with these amazing like visuals, with these signs, with these chants, um, and, and really risking a lot, like the way that, um, the NYPD has cracked down on those folks. Like I've personally experienced it myself, like being, you know, being like thrown to the street, like, uh, arrested for over 24 hours. Like I'm still dealing with like some, uh, complications for that. I actually came right here from physical therapy. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but, but that's like what a lot of people experience. And it's like also a tactic to stop activism, to stop protests, to repress that, um, and for me, it's really important to keep going because there's so many ways to contribute that, pe that it's not just being in the streets like that. That's like crucial. Um, it's also uh, it's also building those connections uh, with your community. It's telling it's telling stories. It's if you're someone who has class privilege, who has access to money, it's like gathering your people and gathering those funds to s directly support the people who are, d who are doing this work or the people who are most targeted, um, sending the money directly. Um, and so for me, that's something that's like really always motivated my work. And I think that there's this kind of thought that, oh, it can be more work to have to like, you know, address all of those different like intersections with the people who are most marginalized. And that's just actually not true. If you like actually are, if, if you are led by those folks, or if you are thinking about who is most impacted and following their leadership, those are the people who have the solutions because they know how they're most impacted by this. It's not going to come from like a think tank or like a group of people who haven't directly experienced that. And so thinking about that, thinking about the people who are most impacted, um, that's just how I do a lot of my work and, and trying to think, knowing that um, for me, when I think about the work that I do with Ben the Ark or other work that I'm doing on my own, like personal pages, um, for a lot of people that that's the, the first place um, that they're coming into contact with this, that that, for me, there's a responsibility there that whose story am I telling? Like, what am I lifting up? How am I addressing those things? And especially in issues where, you know, I'm not the one most directly impacted, um, police brutality, um, the occupation of Palestine. Um, you know, there are ways for like, when you're thinking about Palestine, when you're thinking about Israel and the occupation, there are ways that Jews are implicated, but I'm not the one who's most directly at risk. Um, and so what am I doing in that moment to actually think about and center um, who is at risk. Um, and yeah, so so I think that those those lessons from Shut It Down, the lessons from uh, Palestinian folks and leaders that I've met and ones that I haven't who are so committed to, um, you know, their peoplehood and their liberation. There's a concept called um, Samud steadfastness, um, which is remaining rooted in your convictions and rooted um, um, on your ground um, that is just so meaningful and so powerful. And I think there's lots of ways where we can think that it's easier to look away um, or to turn out to a protest once or send out a tweet and then that's it. Um, but what it takes to actually like really build a movement, build those connections and, you know, become not just an ally, but an accomplice with people who are, um, who are either doing this work day in, day out, or are most directly impacted. Um, yeah, and I think it's just like, I think people view it as like this thing that can be really, you know, it's really serious, and it can be really exhausting. And it is serious, and it is exhausting. Um, but also the people that I've met through activism and through protests are like, 
the most fun people oh, yeah. I've ever met. They are. <laughs> it's like, it's no question. No it's question. like, yeah. Yeah. They're like, some of the people I've met through my activism work are definitely my lifelong friends now. Yeah. And they're definitely people that are just not always like, they're not like this stereotypical, like, oh, I'm so serious. And, you know, like, like I, I'm always just like, like on edge about something. Actually, most of the people that I know are really, really, really fun and loving and caring and super cool. Yeah. Everyone's super cool. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I think like there's always going to be a role for people to play in whatever capacity that they want in the movement. I, and I think that we all just need to find that. You know, and it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so daunting. You know, you can just take it one step at a time and yeah. and just put w whatever, put forth whatever effort you feel that you're capable of doing. And, and, and that is enough because then collectively, right, if we're doing, if we're all put pitching in just collectively, then we are creating something more powerful than what we could do individually. Um, so let's, let's wrap up by... Um, you just kind of telling um, everyone where they can find more information about um, Bend the Arc and about you um, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, if you want to follow uh, Bend the Arc's work, um, you can find us on Facebook at Bend the Arc Jewish Action, um, on Twitter at Jewish Action. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing right now is specifically... Um, joining the um, National Defund Hate Campaign, which is working to, uh, you know, hold ICE and CBP accountable for their abuses um, and make sure that Congress isn't giving any more money um, and actually defunding um, those institutions um, and continuing to do work um, combating white nationalism, acting in solidarity with other groups. Um, so again, that's uh, at Jewish Action. Um, and for me personally, um, you can, you know, you can find me on Facebook as Thomas Corcoran on Twitter at the Tom Corcoran because I am the Tom Corcoran. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is, uh, this is, uh, something that is just like a really core part of my life. And again, yeah, I just agree with what Cindy said that there is like, there is a fun to this too, that there is like a real joy, um, in a couple of ways. There's nothing better than being in spaces with people who believe in your humanity and yeah. believe in that we are all like equal and together and that's that one you thing you should have the right to exist exactly there's nothing <laughs> better than that the second is that there's nothing that's more fun than like dunking on nazis and right-wing folks oh, yeah. like whether it's like online i mean or this was so fun just yeah. now right the it's past like, hour just like dunking on all right <laughs> it's like we know they're terrifying yeah. we know that they are building a movement and we have to combat it but also they're wrong and they will yeah. lose yeah so so there's that too um so um yeah i i would just like uh I think I can end there. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Thank you so much again for being here. You are seriously one of my role models. <laughs> like, I, I adore you, and, and I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to come here. So thank you, Tom, again. And thank you, everyone, for joining us at Activist NYC, the podcast. Your support is much appreciated. Activist NYC, the podcast, is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Be sure to follow Activist NYC on Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at, at Activist NYC. Tune in next time. <laughs>